Welcome to Paranormal Almanac with your host, Kurt Sandvik. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Zavik, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's take a look at some people that have allegedly sold their souls to the devil. But first, as always, we have shout-outs. Now, if you want to skip ahead to the shout-outs, I can't stop you from doing it. If you want to skip past the shout-outs, I can't stop you from doing it, but they only take a minute. Listen to the people that make this show happen. Shoutouts go out to Aaron, Aaron, Ah, Monsters, Lauren and David, Alicia, Amber, Andrew, April, Audra, Austin, Autumn, Bill, Bob, Brandon, Caitlin, Carolyn, Carolyn, Carrie, Chris, Chuck, Cindy, Cole, Krista, Dan, Dill, David, and Sean, Donald, Dorian, Elliot, Erica, Aaron, Ezram, Fran, all right, I'm gamer fan, Harley, Harry, Heidi, I, Isabel, J, Mark, Jade, Jaime, Jason, Jeff, Jeff, Jennifer, Jared, Jerry, Jim, Joe, John, Joshua, Juliana, Carrie, Kelly, Kelsey, Kira, Lash, Laura, Laura, Rutho, Lauren, Mangano, Lauren, McCune, Lawrence, Leo, Lindsay, Gio, M. Caballero, Martin, Matt, Megan, Mickey, Mildog, Nanashi, Nick, Nick, Pablo, Paula, Carrie, Rachel, Robin, Rosa, Russell, Sarah, Sarah, Sean Bishop, Shelly, Stephen, Suzanne, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Tanya, Trey, Veronica, What's That, Will, and Sean Wagner. Uh, fun fact, Sean and I just did a, uh, a, well, Sean did a tarot reading for me last night, and it was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. So much to think about. It wasn't one of those things where I walked away going, nah, or I walked away going, that could apply to anybody. It was a very, very, seemed to me anyway, a very, very Kurt-centric tarot reading. It's really neat. I really, really appreciated that. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad I got to do that and got to hang out with Sean and, and David for a little bit. All righty, let's get right on into Paranormal News. Paranormal News. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paranormal News. The first story in Paranormal News, really, I'm not blocking ads, you sons of bitches. The first story from Paranormal News, what UFOs can tell us about life on Earth. UFO sightings happen in clusters. The same is true of books about UFOs. While clusters of UFO sightings are called flaps, there is no similar term for clusters of UFO books. The 1950s saw a bunch of books from Carl Sagan and Gray Barker and Frank Scully. Then in the 70s, we had Eric Von Daniken, Charles Berlitz. Then in the 90s, we had Whitley Strieber's Communion, technically late 80s, but... They say that we're in the midst of a new cluster of UFO books that is different and frankly more interesting. The central concern in these books is not truth, but meaning. Ufology is similar in many ways to religion. And I gotta say, I kind of agree. There does seem to be a golden age of UFO books coming out right now. And they don't seem to be slowing down. People keep buying them. People keep writing them. I myself, if I had the time, which everybody's like, well, you got the time. You're in quarantine. Well, sure, but... 
I'm still working 50 hours a week at my day job and then I'm doing this as well. So if I have the time and trust me, I'm trying to find it. I would love to do the first edition of Paranormal Almanac, the book. Uh, it's definitely high up on my list of things to do. Hopefully I'll get time to do it. But they're saying that uh, ufology is almost becoming like a religion. And again, I kind of have to agree. The, the way that people are um, revering UFOs and aliens and abductions and everything, there are a certain sector of them that really do feel like it is a religion. I'm totally behind that. I, I mean, I'm not totally behind it being a religion, but I'm saying I'm totally behind what they're saying that um, I kind of agree with it. I really do. But let's get on to the next story for Paranormal News. Up next in Paranormal News. Yeah, those weren't UFOs over Cleveland last weekend, but it'd be cool if they were. Apparently there was a Reddit post and a news story that came out about UFOs over Cleveland. They say another mass UFO sighting in Cleveland, Ohio. A peculiar sight was recently spotted and filmed in the skies above at least two major population centers in the United States, leading some social media users to wonder whether they witnessed a whole swarm of UFOs cruising through the night. Sadly, the explanation is far simpler. The lights were satellites that are part of SpaceX, which provides broadband internet service, and were catching reflections visible here on the ground. That's going to happen a lot. These little clusters of satellites have often been misidentified as UFOs, and apparently it's happened again, too. I mean, this story is just from the 10th, so just a few days, uh, just a couple of days ago. I'm going to click on it. Ugh. I'm clicking on it. Silent. And I can see why. I mean, you look at this video, which I'll throw up on the, the Facebook page. It looks exactly like the Phoenix Lights. I mean, it really does. It's a line, almost triangular-shaped line of lights that are going across the sky. It really does look like a UFO. But, again, apparently, they're just SpaceX. Okay, up next in paranormal news. Viral Bigfoot photos at Turkey Mountain, part of a city park social distancing campaign. That's right, recent photos of Bigfoot in Tulsa have been revealed as a campaign to get people active, but at a distance. You can add one more item to the general rules at Turkey Mountain. Honestly, it makes me a little scared, says hiker Jennifer Clinton. Yellow signs have popped up with a message, please practice social distancing on the trails at least six feet apart. With the weather right now being the best it's ever been, I wish there wasn't a virus going on, blah, blah, blah. We all wish there wasn't a virus going on, like I'm skipping ahead. So, there was a guy that was in a Bigfoot costume running around Turkey Mountain today, and it's part of a campaign to keep people to be at least six feet apart, but still active on the trails. They say that Turkey Mountain is not a place to meet your friends and go for a hike. Not right now. This is the new normal for now, and I gotta say I agree. Uh, there's also a news story that just came out that it is more than six feet if you're hiking or jogging or bicycling. They say that COVID can go 13 feet, so... Stay the fuck away from other people. Stay the fuck home so we can get past this quarantine and actually get to be able to go out and have some fun again. Alrighty, let me click on this and see if this is worth listening to. We understand you want to be active, but keeping your distance now more than ever is important. That's the message behind a viral campaign at Turkey Mountain involving Bigfoot, where there are now signs up over the hiking trails. Channel 8's Ethan Hutchins has that story. 
Yeah, they're telling us today that they want you to get out and enjoy the trails out here at Turkey Mountain, but they are saying that they no. have these signs here. The answer is no. There was nothing worth, nothing worth listening to on that, so let's skip ahead and keep on keeping on. Okay, up next in paranormal news. So you think you're sitting at home, there's nothing to do, there's no way you're going to see a cryptid sitting in your living room? Well, bullshit to that, because webcams for people stuck at home... The search for the Loch Ness Monster is not a monster. Or watch Vegas Weddings from your couch. Don't watch Vegas Weddings, just check for Nessie. So they say, good luck sitting at home, being all bored, but you can always go to Loch Ness Monster Spotting Webcam. <sighs> it's not a monster. The Loch Ness Nessie has been circulating for centuries, but it wasn't until a photo... Nah, I'm not giving you the story. You guys all know the story about Nessie. The point of this whole article is that you can go to the Loch Ness spotting webcam to try and see if you can spot Nessie for yourself. There's still ways to see cryptids even in a quarantine. And depending on how like your partner's grooming habits have been, there might be mistaken uh, Bigfoot in your apartment as well. Okay, let's see. Oh no, there's one more. Sorry, there's one more story. Sorry, there's one more story for paranormal news before we get to the topic at hand. A huge wildcat with big paws seen roaming around English Garden. Apparently a huge wildcat was spotted in Cambridge Garden yesterday, raising suspicions it might have been another sighting of the mythical Fen Tiger, which you all should know about from previous episodes. They say a huge wildcat has been spotted in a man's garden in Cambridge. The resident who photographed the animal said he could not identify it, although he was open to the possibility it could be a legendary creature rumored to stalk the area. And yeah, there's a photo of it. It looks like a big ass mountain lion, lion, but it's got a striped tail though. It does look like a big ass cat though. I'll I'll throw some photos of the cat up on the uh, on the Facebook page as well. See what you guys think. Is it Fen's tiger? Is it a house cat? Just a big house cat? Is it something else that I don't know about? I don't know. You'll have to tell me. Alrighty, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with more paranormal news. Nope, that's wrong. We'll be right back. With, with people that sold their souls. We are back. Stitches on my lap. I haven't left the house in a while now. Going a little stir crazy. So let's take a look at some people that supposedly have sold their souls to the devil. Now trying to write this one is really hard. Because a lot of religious sites think that everyone in the entertainment industry has either sold their souls or are part of the Illuminati. And it makes trying to find quote-unquote real stories or real legends that much harder. Proof of that is, here's something that I found going down this rabbit hole. How else do you explain Katy Perry's Super Bowl halftime show? Yeah. That was an argument I found for her selling her soul on some dumb site. So, for you listeners, I went, what? All right, I guess I have to watch the entire halftime show to see if it's blatantly apparent that she sold her soul and there's something in that halftime show that's going to prove it to me. So, let's see if I can figure out what the hell they were talking about. It starts with Katy Perry riding in on a ginormous metal lion. Now, the lion is the symbol of God, and she's wearing fire like she's burning down God. 
Then there's a bunch of backup dancers dressed as chess pieces because many religions think that mankind is just the god and devil playing chess. Then there's left shark, which we all know who sits on the left hand of God. And if it's a shark, it'll bite God's hand, which is exactly what Satan would do. No, nope. None of it meant anything other than it was a semi-entertaining halftime show. Nothing blatantly stood out Illuminati or Satan. So the point of this is if you look at anything with a tight enough tinfoil hat on, this is the shit that you could come up with. It's dumb. And speaking of Katy Perry and Satan, here's this directly from Snopes. Did Katy Perry say praying to Satan should be on your bucket list? No. The answer is no. So the origin of this story is there was a Newswire story and they said that in uh, January of 2018 that singer Katy Perry had recommended people pray to Satan to experience, quote, a whole extra level of amazing. So apparently, according to them, Los Angeles, 16th of January, 2018, she says, experience Satan's raw power as something everybody should experience at least once in their lifetime, according to Katy Perry, who advised fans to add praying to Satan to your bucket list. People who say they'll try anything once are usually full of shit. How do I know this? Because if they tried praying to Satan just once, they'd be doing it every day, multiple times per day. It's really that powerful. It's a real trip. And this was apparently speaking at a Stella McCartney fashion event in Los Angeles on Tuesday. So, no, there is no evidence that Katy Perry made these comments. She was there at the Stella McCartney celebration fashion event and party in Los Angeles. But no, she did not make those comments. See, this is how this crap starts. And then I got to filter through all of this crap to write an episode about people selling their souls. Katy Perry, you are off that list. Okay, so let's see if we can find quote unquote real accounts of people selling their souls. I guess... Here's a list of the most popular known cases. Even some of these are a serious stretch. Like, I immediately went, well, that's bullshit, but let me find out. Nope, that's bullshit. So, let's keep going. So, let's get started. This list had to start with this guy. Like, it really had to. You can't talk about Satan and deals without people bringing up Aleister Crowley. Yep, I've talked about him before, and I'll be talking about him again soon. So... If you don't know who Aleister Crowley is, listen to everything I've ever done, then come back to this episode because I'm not like the narrator on Curse of Oak Island. I'm not going to repeat the same stuff I've already said a billion times. Every episode, I'm not going to be like, Aleister Crowley, could he be? Could he have sold his soul to the devil? Well, no, I'm not doing any of that crap. You don't know anything about Crowley? Figure it out. We know what he did, but when did he make a deal with the devil? Well, here's a quote. He said, I was in the death struggles with self. God and Satan fought for my soul those three long hours. God conquered. Now I have only one doubt left. Which of the twain was God? Okay, I guess if you read that in a certain way, it does sound like he had a deal with his soul with one of either God or Satan, and he wasn't sure who won. But Crowley stated a lot of the times that he didn't believe in the devil himself. It was a myth made by man. 
So I personally, I think this is history combining his magic, which, look, we all know he did that kind of stuff, and his linking with the occult, sure, with you there too, but they're linking all of that saying, well, if he did that, he must have sold his soul to, you know, to the devil. But I can't find anything that conclusively states that Crowley sold his soul. Nothing at all. So, let's move on to someone with a bit more of a connection to the devil. His name was Richard Ramirez. He became known as the Night Stalker. In the early 80s, he raped and murdered people all over California. Now, Richard Ramirez was involved with Satanism. Yep. He left pentagrams on his victims or at the crime scenes. Yep. And at his first court appearance, Richard Ramirez raised a hand with a pentagram drawn on it and yelled, Hail Satan. Yep. That is all true. So yeah, this one seems to be a bit more connected with Satan, but still, he never said he sold his soul. I kept trying to look through all of the stuff I could on Richard Ramirez. I tried to be like, Richard Ramirez sold his soul, you know, in quotes, and then Google searched that. Like, everything, every book I could find about him, every article, every interview I could find, and it was all too much, really. I didn't really need to learn that much about Richard Ramirez, but I couldn't find anything that says... He sold his soul to the devil. Nope. So let's keep trying to find one. Let's move on to MS-13. They were started by, that's a gang if you don't know it. It was started by Satan worshippers who told investigators that they committed some of the early murders at, quote, the request of the beast, including saying that the murder of a 15-year-old girl was because the beast wanted a soul. There are a lot of reputable sites that say in the early days of MS-13, they would make their new members sell their souls to be part of the gang. What they got from it, I don't know, don't care, I don't want to mess with them. But, from what I could find, from news sources, from people that were in MS-13, yep, they made deals with the devil. Let's move on to another group that are equally as fun. This group was called the Ripper Crew. They were also known as the Chicago Rippers. They were made up of three men, and they murdered at least 18 women in Illinois in 1981 and 82. They said, 100% from their mouths, they said they sold their souls and killed the women for Satan. They even used parts of the women they killed in satanic rituals. Fun fact, one of them was actually released from prison last year for good behavior, so... Yay? Okay, for this next one, let's go back. Let's go way, way on back to 1782, when Niccolo Paganini was born. Now, he was a violinist progeny by 15. He did world tours. People noticed that he didn't need sheet music, that he did it all from memory... And that his very long fingers moved so fast you couldn't even see them as he played. So, instead of people being going like, wow, that boy can play, they went, nope, he made a deal with the devil. Now, depending where you get your story from, it's usually Niccolo's mom that made the deal with the devil, actually. She made the deal for him. She wanted fame and fortune for her boy. And that there are, quote, eyewitness reports of him being on stage playing 
and being spotted in the audience watching people in awe of his music. Another legend is that Lightning even struck his violin once during one awe-inspiring performance. But both of those are some serious grain of salt shit. So, just like every modern-day child star, he was boozing it up and drugging it up and cruising through women all by the age of 15. Fast forward to 50, he's a wreck from drugs and dying. So they call in a priest, and as soon as Niccolo sees the priest, he's lying on the deathbed, dying, delirious, out of it. Priest walks in, he goes, nope, and freaks out and sends the priest away. And died shortly after. Alrighty, let's stick with long dead violinists for a second and talk about Giuseppe Tartini an Italian violinist and composer from the 1700s. Now, he's famous for a song called The Devil's Trill Sonata. Story goes that he woke up one night to find Satan sitting at the edge of his bed playing the violin, and he taught Giuseppe how to play this song. Stories say that even today, the Devil's Trill Sonata is difficult to master. And there's a bizarre story that Giuseppe had six fingers on one hand, and that's how he could master that song. So, speaking of that song, let's listen to it right now. Wait, that might not be the correct song. Hold on, that might not actually be the correct song. But did you ever realize that in that song, The Devil Went Down to Georgia, when the devil actually started playing the violin to, you know, for his part of the song? Here, I'm going to put this in the background while I tell you this part of the story. Fun fact, when it comes to the devil's part of the, uh, the solo challenge... It's not actually a violin. It's a guitar solo. Alrighty, let's listen to that part of it real quick. The strings and it made an evil hiss. Then a band of demons joined in and it sounded something like this. Yeah. So, not surprisingly, the devil cheated in that song. Alright, let me see if I can find the actual song and see if it's all that and a bag of chips. Holy crap, the song's 16 minutes long. I'm not gonna play all of it. Let's just skip to the good stuff. That's enough of that song. Um, so, fun fact, if you actually try to look up the Devil's Trill Sonata on uh, YouTube, there's a whole lot of people playing it, so it can't be all that hard to play. Like, I couldn't play it. Yep. Completely agree with that statement. I mean, you, you give me a, a violin, I can't even play The Devil Went Down to Georgia. I couldn't play any of that. But, there seems to be a whole hell of a lot of people that are able to play The Devil's Trill Sonata doesn't look like they have six fingers. I don't think they all made a deal with the devil. So let's keep on keeping on. Up next, 
Did you ever wonder where the witch on a broomstick thing came from? No? Well, too bad, because here it is. Her name was Antoine Rose, and this took place in 1477, when Antoine Rose, who is now known as the Witch of Savoy, was a very poor woman living with their son, Michael. Now, they're at home, minding their own business, being poor, when another witch tried to kidnap Michael in the middle of the night. But they managed to stop her by stabbing her in the arm. Now, witnesses say they saw her made a deal with the devil right there to protect her son. And in return, she was given an ointment which she rubbed on her broom, and you guessed it, they took off into the sky. Well, once word got out about this bizarre story, the law came for Antoine, and they tortured her to get her to confess that she was working with the devil. Under torture, she supposedly said that the devil, whose name was Robinette, there's a fun fact, in case you were wondering what the devil's name was, apparently it's Robinette. Like cabinet, but with Rob in front of it. All right. So that Robinette was a dark man who spoke in a hoarse voice. Oh, he's Batman. Basically, the devil's Batman. Kissing Robinette's foot in homage, she renounced God and the Christian faith. Well, she was a witch before that, so eh, not, not a big stretch. So apparently he put his mark on her on the little finger of her left hand and gave her a stick 18 inches long and a pot of anointment. So she smeared the ointment on the stick, put it between her legs, and said, go in the name of the devil, go. As soon as she did this, the flying ointment took effect. So what is in that flying ointment? Well, apparently such things as nightshade, wolfsbane, henbane, and hemlock, often in a base of animal fat. Please do not try this at home. Don't try to make this ointment while you're sitting at home in quarantine because I have found out on the internet that this makes a very strong hallucinogen. Here is a 1966 description by Gustav Schneck, Schenkt? Schenk, sure, of what happened when he made this ointment. Each part of my body seemed to be going off on its own, and I was seized with the fear that I was falling apart. At the same time, I experienced an intoxicating sensation of flying. I soared where my hallucinations, the clouds, the lowering sky, herds of beasts, falling leaves, billowing streamers of steam, and rivers of molten metal were swirling along. So, there you go. If you want to feel like that, find out how, because it doesn't give me, like, perfect ingredients. It's not like three tablespoons of nightshade to a cup of wolfsbane. So I don't know the proportions, but, um, you know, there you go. Also, 18 inches long isn't much of a broom. That's that's like not even two feet long. That's the shortest. It's like a push broom or something, but it's a weak-ass broom, to say the least. Anyhow, back to Antoine Rose. So stories say that she disappeared after her trial. They found her guilty. They were going to kill her, but she just disappeared. So who knows? She may still be out there. Go in the name of the devil. Go indeed. All right, let's keep moving on to Jack Parsons. Again, you'll have to listen to some old episodes for info on him. Stories say that he tried to summon the devil when he was just 13 years old. Now, he wanted to sell his soul in exchange for a real-life rocket ship. Spoiler, he went on to form JPL. You know, the place with all the rockets. 
Well, it didn't stop there because in his 20s, he and Aleister Crowley got together in Pasadena and all hell broke loose, literally. Actually, it was him, Aleister Crowley, and L. Ron Hubbard, if you want the full story on that. And yeah, all hell broke loose, literally, in Pasadena. Hi, Stitch. Yeah. So this one did not surprise me. If he did sell his soul to the devil, wouldn't surprise me at all. That is a, yeah, uh, of course he did. No big surprise. Alrighty. So let's go way back for this next one. I think the farthest back I'm going to go, this next one took place in 538 AD. So obviously I only have legends to go on, but this is the story of Theophil Theophilus of Theophilus of Adana. Now, he was a cleric in the Roman Catholic Church. He was elected as the new bishop, but since this wasn't the position he wanted, he let his rival become bishop and asked him and asked him to make Theopolis Theopolis Theophilus, sorry, to ask and asked him to make Theophilus an archdeacon. Unfortunately, his rival said, "Nah." And Theophilus, he took it bad. How bad? Well, in the whole fuck the church, let's see how Satan does stuff kind of bad. He went off the rails. He signed a contract in his own blood. He denounced Jesus and the Virgin Mary. And story goes that with Satan's help, he was voted in as bishop a second time. Which, you know, he was already voted in once. It's not that big of a deal. But anyhow, Theophilus, he feels guilty and he tells another priest about the Satan contract. So they try and burn it. Look, even though this is 538 AD, I seriously doubt that Satan was dumb enough to give Theophilus the only copy. So, they try and burn it, and guess what? Yep, Theophilus dies instantly. So let that be a lesson to you. If you sign a contract, make sure there isn't a... If you try and... If you try and burn this contract, you will die clause in it, because that would be bad. So, you gotta read. Uh, you gotta read the fine print in everything. The, the, those little Apple contracts you just kind of click on, website things. You never know. You gotta read all that stuff. Alrighty, let's get to a little bit more of a modern one. This is another one that I just don't buy at all. It's about Bob Dylan. Yep, that's right. There are a lot of people that think that Bob Dylan sold his soul. And that Bob Dylan even wrote about it in a song called Crossroads. If you can't guess, that song is about the story of being at a crossroads with his soul. He falls to his knees and pleads to the, quote, Lord to help save his souls. To help save his soul. From the lyrics, it would seem like he's referring to God, but the last line says, And I'm standing at the crossroads. Believe I'm sinking down. Most people believe that this crossroad is the same place that Robert Johnson made his deal. Who? Don't worry about it. That's coming up later. Let's keep going. Also, equally shaky proof is an interview that Bob Dylan did where he makes reference to that very same bargain that he talked about in that song, The Crossroads. He says, it goes back to that destiny thing. I made a bargain with it a long time ago and I'm holding up my end. All right. Right there, I'm going to say he's not talking about making a deal with the devil, but the, interview, the interviewer says, what was your bargain? Dylan says, to get where I am now. 
The interviewer says, should I ask who you made the bargain with? Dylan laughs and says, huh, you know, with the, uh, the, you know, the commander in chief. The interviewer says, on this earth? And Dylan says, on this earth and in the world we can't see. Eh, I mean, come on. That's pretty vague, even in vague terms. All I gotta say is if Bob Dylan made a deal and he didn't get a better voice out of that deal, he got ripped off. Alrighty, let's move on to an American settler named Jonathan Moulton. Now, when Jonathan Moulton was young, he was a cabinet maker. Then he said, screw that, and he became a professional silversmith. Now, he ended up making a lot of money as this professional silversmith. Oh, sorry. Come on, pal. There we go. Take a seat. Relax. He ended up making a lot of money at being a silversmith, which apparently is all it took for people to say he made a deal with the devil. Now, legend goes that Jonathan met the devil. They don't really say where. If it was at a bar or just out in the woods, doesn't really say, but... He met the devil and he started doing rum shots with the devil to try, to try and get the devil drunk. Why? No idea, but that was his grand plan apparently. So Jonathan ended up making a deal with the devil that in exchange for his soul, the devil had to quote, fill up his boots with gold coins on the first of every month. That's Jonathan's boots, not the devil's boots. That wouldn't make any sense. So. Jonathan goes out and buys some serious hooker boots, you know, like the kind that go up past the thigh. And he thinks like, ha, 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 I tricked the devil. And the devil shows up and goes, eh, some big hooker boots you got there, Jonathan, but deal's a deal. And he fills the hooker boots with gold. So the next month, Jonathan thinks, well, that's still not enough gold. I'm not getting a good deal out of this. So instead of buying even like taller boots that go up like past his head or something like that, nope, he cuts the heels out of the boots and then he cuts two holes in the floor under the heels and then he nails the boots to that spot. So the devil shows up and he starts filling up those boots with gold coins and it takes a long time. How long? Well, story says they filled up the entire basement with gold through those holes. So, the devil figures out what's happening. He knows how long it takes to fill up boots with gold, apparently. And he says, fuck this. And he sets the house on fire, killing Jonathan. Here's my problem. The story never mentions what happened to that basement full of gold. So, I'm gonna call BS on this one. I don't know why this story has survived this long. Why the name Jonathan Moulton has ever survived as long as it have, has is shocking to me. But there you go. When you look up people that sold their soul to the devil, American settler Jonathan Moulton is probably going to be on that list. Alrighty, up next is yet another person that I've already talked about, and that's Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin. Again, there is a lot of people that think that he sold his soul to the devil for a lot of reasons. And it's not just him. A lot of people think that Jimmy Page and the rest of Led Zeppelin sold their soul to the devil. Part of it might have to have something to do. Part of it might have to do with the fact that Jimmy Page bought Aleister Crowley's house along Loch Ness that Aleister Crowley did a lot of black magic at and apparently all that yada yada yada. So, 
again, you're gonna have to listen to all the episodes if you want all the reasons, but Jimmy Page has said that he thinks that Robert Plant made a deal with the devil to write one song. Yep, Stairway to Heaven. In an interview, Jimmy Page said, Robert was sitting in the corner, or rather leaning against the wall, and as I was routining the rest of the band with this idea and this piece, he was just writing. And all of a sudden, he got up and started singing, along with another run-through, and he must have had 80% of the words there. Now, Robert Plant said, Yeah, my hand was writing out the words. There's a lady is sure, all the glitters is gold, and she's buying a silverware to have... You know, he starts writing it all, and he says... I just sat there and I looked at them and I almost leapt out of my seat. He says he doesn't know where that came from, who wrote that, but boom, it was there. So this, plus the whole, if you play Stairway to Heaven backwards, you'll hear the following, led many people to think that they did a deal with the devil. Okay, so what do you hear when you play Stairway to Heaven backwards? Well, apparently you'll hear... Oh, here's to my sweet Satan, the one whose little path made me sad, whose power is Satan. He'll give those with him 666, and all those fools who made us suffer, sad Satan. Let's take a listen now. The forward, this, here's the forward version of the very famous song. backwards and see if you can hear the hidden messages that are supposedly in there. Okay, well, at least we got Satan. Now I will prime your auditory part of your brain to tell you what you're supposed to hear and then hear it again. <laughs> So there you go. If you actually do listen to it with the uh, the words on the screen from this weird video that I'll post onto uh, Facebook, but if you actually listen to it with those weird words on the screen, oh, here's to my sweet Satan, the one whose little path would make me sad, whose power is Satan. He'll give you, give you 666. There was a little tool shed where he made us suffer, sad Satan. I gotta admit, um, reading along with it, yeah, that's what I heard, but that's also my problem with a lot of EVPs is someone will play an EVP like, what do you hear? 
And nine times out of ten, I'm like, I don't know. It's I hear something, but I don't know what it is. And then they'll go, oh, I think it's saying, spank that monkey, sweet demon child. And then they'll play it again, and they'll hear, like, spank that monkey, sweet demon child. Like, oh, yeah, I can hear that. Once you're told what you're going to be hearing, or once you can read it along on the screen, it makes that kind of fit. It connects those dots for you. I don't necessarily think that's true. The only words that I could hear when I played it back with my eyes closed without listening or without reading those words, yeah, I could hear Satan a couple of times. I could hear 666, which that's pretty freaky. Sure. I get why people freaked out when they played it backwards the first time and heard that. Why people are playing it backwards, I don't exactly get. But, yeah, I can get behind that. I can get behind when someone played that backwards and they heard Satan and 666. But what about all of the rest of the songs? What about the rest of the album? If you played the entire album backwards, is that the only satanic message in there? Or is there a bunch of them that I just don't know about? So, you know, enjoy my little backwards messaging at the end of every episode because for all you know that when you play that forwards, you're going to hear messages to Satan. You probably won't. Okay, up next is another rocker, another obvious one, another, of course he's on this list. It's Ozzy Osbourne. Look, everyone, everyone has heard that Ozzy's satanic, that he made a deal with the devil. You know, he bit the head off a bat. He's the devil himself. Stories like this don't help this topic. In 1984 issue of Hit Parader, Ozzy said, I really wish I knew why I've done some of the things I've done over the years. Sometimes I think that I'm possessed by some outside spirit. A few years ago, I was convinced of that. I thought I, I, thought I truly was possessed by the devil. I remember sitting through The Exorcist a dozen times saying to myself, yeah, I can relate to that. Then in another issue, he said, I don't know if I'm a medium from out... For, I don't know if I'm a medium for some outside source. Whatever it is, frankly, I hope it's not what I think. Satan. Then he said, I, you know, when, then when he asked if he had sold his soul, he said, I already have. Well, you sell your soul to the devil when you try to do something that you shouldn't. And I already have. I fucking lived my life to the fullest. If there's an afterlife, I've got a good fucking spot in the furnace, you know? So, yeah. Sure, saying shit like that's going to make a lot of people think, of course he sold his soul to the devil. Okay, but let's move on. Let's move on to the reason I did this episode. I hinted about it a couple of stories back. The reason that I did this episode, the blues man who made a deal with the devil at a crossroads, the man himself, Robert Johnson. Now, Robert Johnson was born in 1911 in Mississippi. Being that it was Mississippi and 1911, it wasn't the best time to be an African-American. Now, he was tired of being poor, so he went to the crossroads of two major highways, which I never heard the story as highways. I have always heard the stories was like back roads, but I'm going to tell you the story as it's written. So he went to the crossroads of two major highways, and he made that famous deal with the devil. Apparently, he was met by a large black man, the devil, who took Robert's guitar and tuned it. 
Then the devil played a few songs and then returned the guitar to Johnson. And Johnson could play it like no one else. And boy, did that work. He played the blues and it took him out of that poor farm life. Well, that is until he died at 27 from, well, no one really knows. In fact, it wasn't until a woman who was researching the blues some 30 years after his death found out that he had died. She found his death certificate and went, oh, I guess he died. He just kind of fizzled out. He just died. But again, it was in the early 1900s in the South. And sadly, he was a black man. So of course it didn't make the news so much. He was found at the side of the road, dead. That she could determine, but she couldn't figure out how he died. Now there is one leading theory. They say that Robert Johnson was murdered by the jealous husband of a woman with whom he had flirted with. In an account by blues musician Sonny Boy Williamson, Johnson had been flirting with a married woman at a dance and she gave him a bottle of whiskey poisoned by her husband. When Johnson took the bottle, Williamson knocked it out of his hand, admonishing him to never drink from a bottle that he had not personally seen open. That is very good advice. And Johnson replied, don't ever knock a bottle out of my hand. Soon after, he was offered another, quote, poisoned bottle and accepted it. The story goes on that he got real sick just that evening. And by the next evening, he had to be helped back to his room in the early morning hours. Over the next three days, he got worse until he died in a convulsive state of severe pain. Now, musicologist Robert Mac McCormick claimed to have tracked down the man who murdered Robert Johnson, and he says he obtained a confession from that man in a personal interview, but he has declined to reveal that man's name. So, pretty good leading theory. Wouldn't be surprised at all. Sadly, Robert Johnson died at the age of 27, making him a member of the 27 Club. Now, if you don't know what the 27 Club is, let me give you just a few of the members. I'm sure you've probably heard some of these names. These are people, other people, that have died at the age of 27. Brian Jones from the Rolling Stones, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison. Let's skip ahead a little bit to... Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse. I mean, there is a lot of them. You look up the 27 Club, there are sadly a lot of people that have died at the age of 27 in the entertainment industry, if you will. There's also a lot that are missing from this list, which I think is kind of weird. But anyhow, you get the idea. You don't want to be a part of the 27 Club. Sadly, Robert Johnson was one of the first people known for making a deal with the devil and being part of that club. Alrighty, so, that brings us to the question part of the episode. Would you ever sell your soul to the devil? Is there anything on this earth that makes you go, yep, I would sell my soul for that? Is it a person? Is it your pet? Is it money? Is it some fame? Is it some, you know, bullshit I want a big house. I want a big car. I want a blah, blah, blah. Like, what is it? What would you, what would be the one thing? Not saying you should go out and do it. This whole episode is not to get you guys to go outside and find some crossroads and make a deal with the devil. 
calling you right now. I'm telling you right now. Don't make any deals with the devil because of Paranormal Almanac. Don't do it for me. Don't do it because of me. Don't do it for you. But, theoretically, what is that one thing that would make it worth your while to sell your soul? And, if you're an atheist, would you do it because you don't believe in any of that stuff? Would, would you go ahead and try to sell your soul because it's all bullshit, right? Who cares? Why not go out and try it? Why not try and sell your soul? Would you do that if you're an atheist? Let me know. That one's interesting to me. I'm actually kind of interested in that one. If any of you guys out there have sold your soul, I'd like to hear from you. I'd like to know what made you do it, why, and do you think you got a good enough deal? Now, I know a lot of people that have um, messaged me that said, oh, you know, well, I do a lot of black magic. And, you know, there's a lot of demons binding and, and things that you can do so you can get all of this stuff without actually having to sell your soul. So why do that then? Why do I sell the soul? If you can do these, this magic and protect yourself and get all of the stuff that you want out of life, all of the riches, all the fame, all the whatever, the women, whatever it is that you want, would you do it? Alrighty, I think that's enough questions. I don't. I mean, there's this whole episode is about selling your soul. It's not like I'm gonna have a lot of questions. Um, yeah, that'll do it for me. I don't care. You guys can find merchandise on StoreEnvy.com/ParanormalAlmanac. Thank you to everybody that has donated. There's a PayPal link on Facebook because I had a lot of people that said, "Hey, I just want to donate a one-time fee." There's this thing that I want to get to um, improve the podcast. It's a, um, I think it's called a roadcaster. I can't remember, think of what it's called off the top of my head. You know what? Let me see if I can find it for you guys. Yeah, it's called the Roadcaster Pro. It's a podcast production studio. It is really an amazing piece of, uh, amazing instrument that can really help out the podcast. A lot of the pros use it. It's got a lot of the fun stuff that I could use for uh, the call-in shows, all of the uh, the live bonus episodes that I've been doing to kind of get us through these quarantines. If you like those episodes, fantastic. If you don't like those episodes, fantastic. Those are bonus episodes where we can all get together, try to ignore this pandemic that's going on, and just have some fun. I highly suggest if you guys do those episodes or listen to those episodes, you listen to them live because that chat room is full of and it's a lot of fun. These people are fantastic. That's why I met Sean Wagner, who um, who did that uh, the tarot reading for me. And she's great. Husband's great. They have some amazing stories. They're they're like a paranormal hotspot or or lightning rod, if you will, of the paranormal. It is really cool to hear stories from them on a variety of topics. And we always try to pick, um, you know, the the show kind of writes itself as we go, but we always try to pick something to spark the conversations that, that night. Um, there's been a Thunderbird story that was just fantastic. I've always wanted to talk to somebody personally who has seen a pterodactyl, and now I have. Now I can say, yeah, I've talked to somebody who's seen a pterodactyl. That's flipping incredible to me. It was a fantastic story, lots of details. It was great. Again, I hope you guys are listening to those live episodes. I love talking to you all. I uh, love all the callers that call in, all the people that are on the chat. It's just a fun night. It's a good way to decompress and kind of get out of this little quarantine bubble that we're all in right now. So I hope you guys like those ones as well. But back to what I was talking about, 
there is a PayPal link on the Facebook page to try and get this. It's a, it's a $600 piece of uh, equipment. So unfortunately, I don't have $600 just lying around to buy this piece of equipment. But hopefully, if you want, no pressure, if everybody chips in, that is exactly what that money is going to go to. It's going to help the show be a better show, just like when the patrons bought this microphone and the patrons paid for um, all the equipment that I'm using that make this show a better show. So thank you all for listening. We're all going to get through this. Let's get through this together. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Yeah, boy, Nicky's half, we're at sight. And you'll get mother, and you'll get your sister. And I'm not a little bit. Where's the hernit was up, was it?